Storymakers. I'm Angie Powers. I'm Elizabeth Stark. And And this this is Storymakers Show. And we are thrilled to be here today with Carol Stivers, who is the author of the fabulous debut novel, The Mother Code. She was born in East Cleveland, Ohio, and received her PhD in biochemistry from the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign and then went on to postdoctoral work at Stanford University before launching a career in medical diagnostics. And now she lives in California and and has turned or has combined her love of writing and her fascination with the possibilities of science to create this first, um, let's call it near future or (laughs) starting to be near past um, (laughs) novel, The Mother Code. Welcome, Carol. Thank you. Thanks. It's so great to have you here on Storymaker Show. So before we launch into a juicy discussion about the book, uh, Angie, what are you working on? I actually am doing a little uh, deep dive into production design right now. So mm-hmm. that's kind of and how it might apply to writing. So there Exciting. Go. Cool. I, I hope we'll, we'll talk a little bit about uh, screenwriting because I know Carol's daughter teaches screenwriting and also the book is so cinematic and the movie rights have already been optioned. So we'll, but we'll get, we'll get there in a moment. Um, I'm, I'm still sort of in waiting mode. And so I've done a huge editing project for somebody else and I'm about to launch into cleaning the house <laughs> as I wait for notes. Um, and that's sort of where I'm at. <laughs> so Carol, I know your, your book is launching this very moment. Um, is, are you, is that mostly what you're working on? What are you working on right now? Uh, two things. One is I'm rereading the book because I'm uh, editing it for the paperback. Um, again, uh, you know, just tweaking different things for, for the paperback. Um, so that's been an interesting thing to do after all this time. So you've got but, some real uh, distance on it. Another thing I'm doing is I'm, I'm wrapping up the kind of, uh, I guess what I call maybe the third draft of a, of a new novel. So I'm getting it ready to send out to people to critique. Very um, exciting. Yeah. So that's been uh, kind of keeping my mind off this whole thing. Okay. And is that one sci-fi as well? Yeah. Is it a similar uh, terrain? No. So the terrain is much colder and wetter. <laughs> it's a good <laughs> yeah, I think we'll, we'll get into it that, that I think the, the mother code, I think, I, you know, in the original, I thought it was going to be more like a climate science fiction because there's some climate elements to it, right? The fact that we've destroyed our climate and we've destroyed our air and everything else. But also, um, so in my new one, I'm digging deeper into that. That's sort of interesting, the timing of the way you phrase that, because there's climate science fiction and then there's climate science fiction yeah. and those are different things and um i i was yeah, interested just well in fact one of the we on our last story makers episode we were talking about can there be too much plot and i actually was thinking of your book because um, and exactly about the climate stuff because it ends up being a backdrop and and an obstacle for the characters but it's not what the book's about and so you, you exactly. it kind of just becomes um a piece of it is so, the, the landscape. It's the landscape, world right? building. Yeah, yeah. So let's talk about um, world building and how you kind of how you. What was your process for figuring out all of the kind of science and mechanics of this world that you invented here or predicted? Well, yeah, I think. Well, I, you know, again, I think at the beginning it was it was supposed to be a cautionary tale about 
uh, bio-warfare. And at the time, there were rumors afoot that, uh, this is going way back, I started writing this book in 2000, I mean, really earnestly writing it in 2011. Um, and before that, you know, there was always the WMDs, there was always the fear of um, bio-warfare agents out there, and I thought people could get pretty crafty with those if they wanted to. Um, and so in my scenario, I have people getting overly crafty to the point where they do something really um, catastrophic yeah. that ruin basically the difference between what happens, the, the kind of pandemic in my book and, and the, the, the pandemic that's happening now is that mine is man-made and it's um, the air you breathe. It's not contagious. Uh, I'm not going to catch it from you. You're not going to catch it from me, but we're going to catch it from the air itself. And so I thought of the book as more being like a climate science fiction. Also the, the, the um, uh, challenges that the children had living in the desert and what we had left behind there uh, in terms of what happens to them when they have to leave the desert. Um, it, it kind of, you know, it, it was festering. Uh, even though we had left and everyone had gone, still there were these remnants of things that would, you know, be harmful. And so those were the elements that were kind of lurking in the background of the story. Um, and then in the in the foreground is, okay, what do what do humans do now, and how do they think about the way they want to go forward um, with the human race on Earth if. Uh, and, I, and I wanted it to be less like things like I am mother or these kind of uh, uh, Terminator type of scenarios with robots that have taken over and killed all the humans and things like it, it, this is more like humans using robots to not only um, prolong their own lives in the form of AI, right, because the mothers are a prolonging of the lives of human women. Um, but also that they would care for children and kind of humanize them. So kind of give them a history, give them a past and a heritage that they could carry forward. So we might want to back up for a minute and just like, maybe can you, I don't know if you've mastered this, I find it super challenging, but can you do the sort of the, the, the one liner about what the book's about? Well, so uh, I, I guess the, 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 the elevator pitch, I always have to read it now. Yeah. So, but <laughs> in the year 2054, a boy named Kai is born alone in America's desert Southwest. His only companion is his mother, a super soldier robot. The mother code is the story of how Kai and his mother grow to better understand both themselves and the world that made them. And it ends with a decision. Will Kai break his bond with his mother or fight to save the only parent he has ever known? So that, that was kind of my elevator pitch back in the day. Yeah, great. I just think it's helpful because, um, you know, to make our listeners will maybe not have gotten their hands on it yet. And just mm -hmm. so to understand what we're talking about. And, and so then this bio and this sort of bio engineered uh, virus spreads. So it's not a virus. Okay. I just, I just want to <laughs> make sure everybody yeah. knows it's not a virus. So what it is, is um, one day I was in my car driving home, trying to figure out how I was going to kill half, uh, kill the population of earth <laughs> without as harming animals does. and things, you know, as one does. And, and without uh, harming animals. <laughs> I heard uh, 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 somebody being interviewed on NPR um, 
I won't name names, but it was a professor from uh, university. It was a professor from Northwestern uh, in uh, in Chicago, and he was doing research on these uh, things called small uh, spherical nucleic acids, and this thing was um, to develop these for use in um, vaccines and therapeutics. And but uh, so I raced home. I thought, oh, that's interesting, and I. Um, looked him up and I saw him giving a talk to the Air Force. Uh, I thought, this is very interesting. <laughs> what are they interested in? Well, it turns out the Air Force are interested in a lot of things like that. He works in nano, uh, nano this and nano that. And so it was just a part of a course that they were teaching the Air Force. But I just kind of started putting the military together with something like that and um, quickly realized that, yeah, if you could... Um, you know, spray an aerosol that would would then uh, cause pe- people uh, to genetically mutate. Wouldn't that be bizarre and awful? And, and so that's what it is. It's not a virus. And I know a lot of people have likened it to COVID and uh, viral pandemics and stuff. But the difference is that, again, you can breathe this in. It's in the air you breathe. And it doesn't matter if uh, I sequester myself, I can't sequester myself from the air. And so that's mm-hmm. the problem. And that's why it's so deadly. Um, and there's not, no such thing as immunity to it. Right. So, yeah. They try. They do try. Yeah, they do try and they do succeed to some extent. But it's uh, it's, a, it's a terrible, terrible challenge. And, uh, you know, in my running around in the back of my brain also is... Just the idea of that people are doing a lot of genetic engineering now that's a little bit dicey. Um, some things happen. Dolly, yes. Yeah, yeah, some things happened in China that were, shouldn't have happened. And luckily that professor did lose his job. But um, so you, you have to uh, be cognizant that, that that's something you just don't play around with. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I think so. It's, it's an interest. So your book was going to come out in the spring, and it was delayed because of the pandemic. Yeah, <laughs> um, and and it's and so now it is. You know, though it's though it's distinct the, your book from what is actually happening. It is. You know, it is about. Uh, you know, so, something so something sort of worldwide and debilitating that that leaves the human race shattered somewhat. <laughs> So yeah. it's an interesting moment to be with. Yes. And, and in fact, it ends up being um, in, in, in many ways sort of quite full of hope, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, but we sort of launch into this, this um, I don't know if pandemic is the right word, but this world with, you know, th- with the situation that is, that is a kind of exaggerated version of what we might fear in yeah. this moment. Mm-hmm. How, how have you seen that? I mean, that was not what you anticipated when no. you sold. <laughs> how has that been? So uh, it's been kind of awful. I, I think um, so two of the things that, that I liken most to uh, what happens in my book is that, that feeling of, that you, in the, at least in the beginning, like in March, right? We felt like we couldn't go out of our house. We didn't know. It was like the early days of AIDS. You didn't know how are you going to catch this? Yeah. And there were the reports of, oh, COVID was lurking in the, at the ship that was, you know, mm-hmm. the cruise, cruise liner. And how long do things lurk? You know, and so you'd go out and you'd feel like you had to just wear a biohazard suit just to go outside the house. So at that point, I started in that feeling of um, another one is the feeling that your lungs uh, are, are very precious and and you, you, you don't even want to breathe deeply. 
And so those two feelings, I thought, oh my gosh, I, I wrote the book at a time that that none of this was happening. And then when I started happening, I started actually feeling these feelings that my characters feel in the book. And I thought, yeah. oh my gosh, this is what it's like. Um, but another thing was, you know, uh, my publisher called on March 23rd and said, we're going to literally stop the presses because it was supposed to go uh, be printed on the 24th. Uh, because at that time in New York, things were just very chaotic. They had no idea uh, how anything was going to happen. And they, there were a few books that leaked through the, the two weeks prior to that. And um, things were really awful for those books, obviously. So they just had kind of stopped everything. And, and uh, it was really stressful for them, too. Um, so this whole thing has been... You know, I think for for the entire publishing industry and for a lot of industries, obviously, it's been a whole new rethinking of how things should go. Um, I remember my editor calls and she says, well, our whole model is based on eyes on books, books and on shelves in airports. And and I had dreamed of that. You know, I wanted to see my book in an airport. I wanted to see someone in an airplane reading my book. and I wanted to go to bookstores and do personal events and things like that. And it just isn't in the cards right now. So that's been kind of disappointing. Yeah. yeah. Do you, go ahead. Do you feel conversely that you at all were prepared because you've spent all this time in your imagination in a, in a darker world? <laughs> no, <laughs> I don't think anything prepares you for this. Yeah. Well, it was interesting because I was kind of struck by the idea. You said, I, I'm now feeling what my characters were feeling um, around the long conversation. And I'm just sort of wondering what kinds of things uh, allowed you to be empathetic to a world you hadn't seen yet? Uh, I guess it was that I I loved my characters. <laughs> you know, after a while, you're writing these. I wrote them for so many years. You know, you start to know them. Some of them are based on people I know, and you know that's a trick I can use to kind of really empathize with them. Um, I guess that, that was it. I really, uh, and of course, yeah. I mean, maybe I'd be better at writing them now than <laughs> I've been through this. But I think the character that I empathized with the most was my character James because he has a trajectory that runs through the whole book, right? And he. Um, experiences the the hope of maybe he's found a cure for himself and maybe he will last longer and then he has to go through the same thing everybody else has to go through and so he he really has to go through the gamut of everything that everybody in the whole book has to go through save the children though is it, you know, one of the things I find my, with my students and then with myself that sometimes it's hard to be as cruel to our characters as <laughs> story requires. Did you, did you ever want to, did you ever have to sort of push yourself to, to go to that next level and to make them suffer the next, the next thing? Oh, and I guess it wasn't hard for me to make them suffer given the circumstances they were suffering. But uh, I think one thing I had made up my mind really um, pointedly not to do is to have an evil person 
with evil intent because I just don't buy into that. I, I watch a lot of sci-fi movies. I read a lot of sci-fi and I don't buy into these evil dictators, uh, evil scientists, people like this. What the heck? Uh, it, it just makes no sense to me. So I wanted everybody to have uh, kind of the best interests, what they thought were the best interests of everyone at heart. And they would do things based on what they thought was best and it wasn't always best. And I think that's more normal. That's what happens um, in government and in, uh, in every walk of life. It, it just, that's the way uh, people are. And so I think it's more relatable. Um, and you're faced with this horrendous situation and everybody reacts differently to it. Yeah. Yeah. How, how much planning did you do ahead of time? I don't know if you, how, how influenced were you by your daughter as a screenwriter or, or she, you? <laughs> oh yeah. You said she taught screenwriting. She doesn't teach. She, uh, she oh. took a class with your, with your, oh, with your I, mom. I, for some reason thought she was the teacher, but <laughs> yeah, but uh, that's how they were. They knew each other. Um, she, uh, so sorry, how, how are we influenced by that? By well, screenwriting. It, so she just got uh, interested in that probably around the time she took the class with your mom. So uh, prior to that, she was uh, looking into just writing, writing. And uh, so she took classes at, uh, at the, uh, that's how she got into the uh, writing salon at, in San Francisco. That's how I got in there because she uh, was there and she said, oh, you should take class with this person or that person. Um, and then she kind of drifted into, because she's an artist, she got an art degree at uh, Academy of Art. She uh, drifted into uh, screen screenwriting, in particular screen, uh, TV screenwriting. And so she's taken this class with Robert McKee down in L.A. And, yes. Yeah, it's really <laughs> we a great class. <laughs> it's a great class. I mean, you learn a lot. And, and, and kind of by osmosis, I've learned a lot from her. Because uh, she edits some of my, you not edits, but you know, she reads it and critiques it and she's always right on. Um, and I've been working on some screenplays with her that she's been submitting and uh, she's gotten, she always gets to, what is it, always a, a bridesmaid, never a bride. She's, she's gotten to the uh, uh, semifinals like three times and never gotten any further than that, but she um, keeps trucking and uh, it's fun to write those and it's fun to write them together. So her dream is to be in a writer's room because then, mm-hmm. yeah. and, and you know, in my writing, I like to bat ideas around too. I think it's great. Really. Uh, so did, you use, flowing. did you use any of those approaches with the book or to, how much did, did you plan it? I mean, how much did you do ahead of time? In terms so of- I, I think uh, when I was writing mother code in 2011, starting back then, I, I didn't have any techniques at all. I really just started writing stuff. And um, now I, I'm a little more orderly in it. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of people who are into things like save the cat for novels and things like that and the, the plotting and scheming. And I would say that I'm still, I went from being a total pantser to being more of a hybrid um, where I do write out beats like uh, on a separate uh, document. Um, and I kind of plot it out in advance. I do for my science fiction, I do a lot of reading of science, uh, of hard science, and I try to figure out okay, what would be probable, possible, um, and usually I'm inspired by that thing to start the fiction part of it because some of these things are pretty outlandish. So 
I, I get the heart of the idea. I do a lot of nonfiction reading and studying. And meanwhile, I'm mapping out these beats, you know, that go mm -hmm. from beginning to end. And I always start with a beginning and end. And if I don't have those two things, I don't think I have a novel to start writing yet. I have to have both of those things and then be able to kind of write myself from, from one to the next. <laughs> mm -hmm. And how do you define yeah. a beat or what do you, what needs to be in a beat? So, uh, you know, there could be, I think a beat is in my mind, it's equivalent, it's equivalent to a scene, mm -hmm. right? So if you, if you, um, you know, have, well, these two pair characters now have to, to talk about this or the, the, this, this inciting incident has to happen or whatever uh, that it would usually be equivalent to a scene. And sometimes there's multiple beats in one scene, but that's rare. And so, so that's kind of the way I write it out in scenes. I got a lot of good practice. I wrote a, while I was angsting about uh, selling the, the, uh, the mother code, I, wrote the, the thing, thing called the Butterfly Garden, which was an online serial mystery that I had pitched a couple of years earlier to uh, this uh, Arbor Tees website, summer reading <laughs> series. And I thought it would be so great to have a serial um, mystery and they hadn't had one yet. And I got really good practice on, on doing that one because they wanted the first chapter and the, the beats for the rest of the story right okay well, what would this one be and you had to write 10 pages 10 pages 10 pages for a total of 100 pages it was really good uh exercise to do things that way and I find myself thinking more and more kind of in that manner then I think that when I wrote the mother code I wasn't an experienced writer by far it was the first thing I'd ever written and I just started writing stuff and, and throwing it together and it, it took pro I probably I think way too long to get it to no, no. shape. If it's but done and it's out in the world, it didn't take too long. Too long. <laughs> I'm not dead. I didn't die first. <laughs> Posthumous success. Absolutely. Yes. How many scenes were there? Are there in the Mother Code? Oh my God! Well, I mean, there's an inordinate number of chapters. There's like 47 chapters or something. I think. Um, oh gosh, there's hundreds of scenes in there. <laughs> Don't even. I guess I've never counted how many scenes there are because each chapter would have uh, some like two. Well, anywhere from one to three scenes. So mm -hmm. if I kind of estimate, it would be like that. Yeah, yeah. I and I I really liked hearing about like digging into the nonfiction first and what could happen rather than you know I think sometimes we you know, as if you're not a fiction, uh, a science fiction writer, sometimes you're like, well, all of these things could happen. And there's mm -hmm. a way in which basing it in something real, even if you're going to push it further, kind of constrains you to actually that wouldn't happen. So that's not going to be a choice or an available thing. Yeah, I, I suppose it's nice. But uh, one thing I kept question I kept getting because I had a lot of I had two freelance editors along the way at multiple, multiple, probably about 15 or 16 beta readers. Everybody kept saying, but what's going on in the rest of the world? And I thought, oh, my God, the rest of the world? How long do you want this book to be? Right. So, so yeah, every time, uh, you know, that would come up. I thought it was fun um, listening to Angie Kim a couple of weeks back on your podcast where she talked about, uh, you know, she had written this thing and then she gives it to an editor and the editor says, oh, but I wanted to hear more about these characters. This I got a lot of that. And uh, 
and then it kind of, uh, it, it grows. And, and I told, I remember telling my husband at the time, I said, my, my novel is forever expanding and contracting, expanding and contracting. But um, I think it's a method, it's a very tortuous method by which at the end you get something very condensed because you've, you've, you've expanded it, but now you have to take it back and now you expand it again, you have to take it back. And what you have is in the end is something very condensed. Mm-hmm. And, and and dense it's full of every element but it's not got a lot of frills around the edges and and I really uh resonated with what she said when uh, she was talking about that process and it's probably something I do too I, I do it except now I do it more along the way than at the end mm-hmm. so I tend to kind of like oh well wait a minute I already said that and I cut it out as I go as opposed to getting all the way to the end and so, so I'm not one of those people that writes a, you know, a thousand page. <laughs> yeah. How do you decide? I mean, how did you decide ultimately what did belong and what didn't belong or what, which questions were worth pursuing and which ones were, you know, outside of the scope of the book? So I think the best advice I got was from my agent. Actually, after she um, agreed to represent me, she says, well, you need a think about what are your themes and um, really just hammer them home and anything that doesn't serve those themes. And I'd never really thought about that before. I never thought about it in, in that way. So that really helped me to decide. And another thing between the time I got an agent and the time we submitted to the um, for publication to, to uh, uh, publishers, there was, um, I got rid of an entire character. I, um, I had something really sad happen that didn't happen before. I don't want to say what, um, something, some really basic things changed to the point where my, uh, last, um, uh, uh, editor who had worked with me on it, a freelance editor, uh, when I told her that I'd done this, she was just like, you can't do that, you know, because you can't get married. She was more married to that whole thing than I was. Um, but I just thought that doesn't, it's too much and it doesn't really serve what I want to serve. So one, one thing I had done was I condensed, you know, how you take two characters and turn them into one. I did that. Um, and that was my own volition, not, not uh, my, my agent telling me to do that. I, I felt like it just was better. So there was a lot of changes that were happening even then. And she had me rewrite the whole second half. And <laughs> Were there, was there anything that you held on to the whole time or that, that, that somebody suggested cutting or changing that you felt, no, this is, this is my vision? I think that the one thing that I had some pushback on from the editor at Random House was uh, the fact that the book goes back and forth in the first half between the two timelines. Uh, she wanted to... St- stick with the adults more in the first timeline but I said well the book is about Kai and his mother it's really not about the adults 100% so um, we had a compromise where I uh, put what was originally chapter one became chapter five so chapter one used to always be forever it was Kai and his mother together alone in the desert and um, I moved that to chapter five and started out with an adult timeline and and then uh, had more kind of big chunks of adult action in the beginning 
and less of the children in the beginning and then a whole lot more of the children at the end. And that was always the way it was. Um, some, some readers like that, some don't. I mean, some were probably more with me on it. <laughs> That's but, the uh, thing, right? right? Yeah. But she said, uh, well, you know, it breaks the tension of the adult timeline. And it did, because every time you go back with the children, now you're having to shift gears and stuff. So that, that was uh, one thing that, you know, that first chapter, though, uh, that one, which is now chapter five, has been the same for about five years, almost to the, to the word. So that one I really loved. Mm-hmm. That was the heart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. Um, and then, you know, you just do such a good job of not overloading the reader with all of that wonderful research and knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> um, and of course you had to convey a lot. Um, and I know you did some of that through people talking to each other and fighting, you know, in, in conflict, right. Which, um, I, I know is a, is a strategy, but how did you, so how did you kind of weave in what the reader needed to know without long didactic passages. <laughs> I think that the hardest part, I mean, usually it's pretty easy, right? If you get two characters in conversation, it's pretty easy to to do some secret exposition. <laughs> um, but or one who knows less than the other, you know, that typical thing that you do. Um, but the hardest part, was to explain, I think, the um, the pandemic, you know, and how that worked, and you know, and and, and the fact that it, you know, wh- how insurmountable it was. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I took probably the longest time trying to figure out how to do that. I think uh, for the robots, it was easier because it's something you can stand there and look at and describe, and they are described numerous times throughout the whole book and so you kind of get to know them <laughs> I, you said you you I saw in your in your publicity material that you built models of them at your kitchen table is that right well so uh, my my friend Dave uh Anderson who by the way just won uh in a giveaway he won the book <laughs> it's so funny because he always wanted an e-copy of it I had given him multiple hard copies of it but he wanted the e-copy uh, if anybody's got an audiobook they want to give him, he wants that. But anyway, he uh, is uh, he's a, uh, an aficionado of of of, of, uh, of robotics. Of uh, he's what is it? Uh, his title is uh, systems manager for for um, uh, uh, computer. You know, he's like an IT guy. So he's also uh, a pilot. So he knows about flight and. So he helped me a lot with that design. And he had, like, uh, because he builds model airplanes and flies these little model airplanes, he had a lot of little pieces around in a box at his house. And so that's when, you know, he went down to his house and got out. He dumped out all his parts and showed me ducted fans and how the wing, how big the wingspan would have to be and things like that. And it was because he builds models. So that was his idea. Um, it's only recently that uh, my daughter actually drew a little picture of what this thing would look like because uh, I've seen everything from soup to nuts and I definitely don't want people to think that these things are humanoid really. So uh, she drew one and I've been using it in a couple of presentations and now I made a little sticker of it that if you get a, if you get a book plate, you'll have this little sticker on there and it'll kind of, Oh, here's what she looks like, but she's kind of more like a cartoon. She's waving at you. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that was fun. 
Well, before we move on to uh, steal this, um, is there anything that you just really wish you had known before, you know, before you started that you would, um, any advice you would, you would offer to, you know, to your beginning writer self and to anybody listening out there who's struggling along? Mm, I, I guess if I was to do it over again, I would have started writing at a much younger age <laughs> <laughs> and had a lot more hope, you know, that I eventually would succeed because you kind of, if I, I think the writing is, is more like a, a, you know, my friend says it's, it's moving words around on a page, you know, that's all you're doing. And, and you're figuring out the order that's, that sounds right and tells the story you want to tell. And if you, what I'm finding personally is the longer I do it, the better I get at it. Right. Um, and I wish I had started earlier. So, um, if you're out there and you're wondering if you should start, yeah, yeah, you should just start <laughs> and just start doing it because it's like anything but put in the hours and you'll get better if you really aspire. And if you have a story to tell. Uh, so I think, I think that would be, I think what was your question is about advice, right? So yeah. Yeah. I think that, I, yeah, that's great. Get on, get on, get on the page and go. <laughs> Well, yeah, a lot, of pe- I mean, a lot of people, you know, they, they, they like to write, uh, say, essays or short stories or poems or anything that will start your, that side of your brain working, I think would be uh, good to get going. I love that. Do you, just, I said last question, I have one more, but um, do you, do you write every day? I mean, how, what's your, what's your sort of routine? Well, so, so I'm kind of OCD and uh, been very nervous, obviously, about the book launch. And also, uh, one of the things I do to relax is write. And, and so that's how come. And that and being cooped up with the pandemic and all, I think that's one of the reasons I was managed to write this next novel so quickly. Because I, I had had it. I mean, it's I've, I've not just pooped it out in the last three months. I mean, I've been thinking and working on it for about three years. but. Um, I think, uh, yeah, I, I do write pretty much every day. Right now I'm in the kind of revision mode, which is what I love the most. I love it when you have it there and now you've got something to work with. Um, the hard part for me is that first draft, is, it's like pulling teeth. And sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, as you know, you can sit there and write one page all day. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do do that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so, so I try to write every day now. Uh, unless I'm kind of, and then I have to think about this as, as a little bit more as work than I used to, because, because I used to be a consultant and write on the side for fun. Now I'm a writer and I have to think of, okay, I need time off and just stop doing this for a little bit. So now that's where I'm at. Right, right. Yeah. Well, great. Um, I'm glad that we got to chat with you as part of your time off. Right. <laughs> yeah. Air quotes. Um, it is out. time for Steal This. Amateur poets borrow. Professional poets steal. What if you come across in your readings or wanderings that you would like to take and, and make, make your, your own? own? So um, I can start. Yeah, why don't you model? So um, I am listening to Wolf Hall as an audiobook, uh, which is um, really fun. I'm, sh- I'm sure I'm not following it as well as I would be if I were sitting at the page, but, um, but it's 22 hours long. So I, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm enjoying it as I do all the other things I have to do like cleaning. Um, but it's, it's, I was thinking about why, um, 
it's so kind of dynamic and high stakes because it's, you know, there's Cromwell going around and kind of figuring out the politics of the moment. And of course it is life or death and, and we know it. And I think it's original readers, you know, really real. I mean, I think that, that folks- You mean British. British readers <laughs> have like studied this stuff in school, um, mm. it, you know, and, and, and so they sort of, they know the story even, even better than, than we do. And so there's that expectation of the reader already knows what's going to happen. I mean, you know, there's Anne Boleyn, you know, kind of know what's going to happen to her. <laughs> so how do you create suspense when the story is known? And, and what are the parts of the story that are unknown? You know, the individual character and the complexity of a character who is going to do terrible things, but is not sort of a bad guy, like, like, like you were talking about, Carol, like not having somebody be just a bad guy. Everybody is, is kind of in this machination trying to do what they think is best, maybe sometimes for themselves. I mean, they may, they may not be trying to do what's best for the world, but um, so I guess just thinking about, um, I, I don't know that I've like mastered it. I, I'm in my, in my, I'm in the beginning of my Hillary Mantel masterclass, but, but just thinking about um, that it's not always what's going to happen next, but how, but kind of the internal conflicts of a character and of a world that kind of can pull us along. So that's, I'd like to steal that yes. somehow, and I'd like to learn more about it too. Mm -hmm. um, Carol, do you want to? Well, uh, I just read a book. I finished it. I think I finished it last week. It's called Migrations mm -hmm. by Charlotte McConaughey. Mm -hmm. McConaughey, and uh, she's a uh, Australian uh, lady, but, but of uh, uh, Irish extraction, mm. and she has written a. Beautiful, beautiful book, and I wish I wrote it. I just, <laughs> it's one of those ones where afterward I just can't stop thinking about it. And it's a it's a climate science fiction, but it's a little bit um, based on the uh, uh, myth of the selkie in mm -hmm. Irish folklore. Yeah. So uh, I had seen this um, uh, animated film, "The Song of its of the Sea." Yes, uh, yes. and. I kept thinking about that because this character has this draw to the sea that's inexorable. It's just just a beautiful, beautiful look, and it's got adventure. It's got uh, it's got pathos. It's got everything. Mm -hmm. So I saw her at a uh, was it an event, an online event at Skylight Bookstores in uh, Columbia, Missouri, of all places, and I I just bought the book and I gobbled it up. So that's what I wished I could. Mm. Say I wrote. <laughs> <laughs> You're just like I'm going to make this my own by putting a new jacket cover over it. And, yeah, <laughs> by Carol Stiver. <laughs> Fabulous. Yes. And um, well, the reason I'm actually taking the production design deep dive right now is uh, I'm really interested in exploring intentional inspiration. Mm. So we used to do this. I don't know if you remember when we lived in the city. We went to Sfamoma. <laughs> and um San Francisco DM of modern art um but there was something really great about ha being immersed in that much different kinds of thinking so you know in the photography wing or in you know why is that sculpture art right so there's different pieces and so um being in the house I feel like time. I'm just not getting the same level of 
uh, immersion in well, immersion in in you know there's just ways in which walking around outside even just observing you know I was looking at the sun the other day as I was coming back from walking the dog and it was red right the sun was Smoke. red and low and the streets were sort of empty but you know it was just a very interesting sort of moment and it's like okay great well I get this from walking the dog but I'm not really getting um the same kind of uh, input, right? Mm. So there's a whole idea of filling the well creatively. And so right now, I think I need a little help in sort of thinking about how to intentionally fill my own well and thinking about how to um, engage. I've been reading a lot about math, which I'm really excited about, but um, I think I need more, some visual stimulation. That's not on a screen. That's not on a screen. Yes. Yeah, you're here. Yeah, they're there. <laughs> Carol, tell us about how people can attend your events now that, that everything is virtual and, uh, and find the book and, and you. Uh, so, well, the book is, I, I have a, a, a Facebook uh, page, Carol Stivers author. Uh, I also have carolstivers.com as my website. Um, but uh, next Thursday, uh, September 3rd at 6 p.m., I'll be kind of launching the book again <laughs> with a Green Apple Books in San Francisco, and that's a Zoom event. So if you Google on the Mother Code Green Apple Books or something like that, you will come up with that event announcement. And not only you can buy the book there, you can uh, click on the Zoom link and watch the event. And I'm going to be... Uh, Interviewed by my friend John Markoff, who's a, a tech writer, former tech writer for the New York Times. And uh, so it should be a really interesting event uh, from that standpoint. Uh, a lot of his friends are going to attend too, and it should we'll, be great. We'll put links in the show notes to all of yeah, this as well. Yeah. So it'll be right right there with that's, the podcast. That's what's up next. And, and I, I am uh, going to be in a panel at Lit Quake. I just found out about that uh, in, in October but unfortunately, again, that's going to be virtual. I think we're going to be virtual for a while. And yeah. so uh, that's going to be uh, kind of my next big thing that I can think of off the top of my head. But a lot of book. If anybody's got a book club and would like me to attend, please get a hold of me. And this would be I love great, book clubs. Yeah. This would be a great book club book. Lots to talk about and yeah. think about. And one of the things about books, about parenting, which this definitely is, is that, um, you know, it. It, it's going to address everything we're thinking we're thinking about and struggling with now as parents on this at this moment on earth um and there's so much richness to this so lot lots i mean mm -hmm. even you know i was even thinking this is sort of one step beyond but you know our kids are sort of um becoming cyborgs a little bit with everything <laughs> yeah. being so computerized and and so you know what is that relationship and how is it something beyond what we can understand because we weren't raised that way um and and this like i yeah. said this does have some hope to it as well so um really rich rich conversation yeah you know i just watching my brother's little five-year-old twins interact with tech is frightening actually <laughs> just to watch them like poking at those things and saying you silly silly thing you you know and talking to them it's like talking. whoa yeah <laughs> well i will say i i i have all of that fear of, of, you know, the absorption into screens, but um, there's incredible storytelling happening as well. And I do like to remind myself that when I was in college and there wasn't a cell phone to walk around holding in front of my face, I walked around 
campus holding a book up in front of my face. So some things change and some things stay the same. Yeah. <laughs> but um, the, the book is The Mother Code by Carol Stivers. And Carol, thank you so much for coming and talking with us yes. and enjoy, yeah, your, you. enjoy your launch. At long last, thank you. 